The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, one does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, Angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. It's a great joy to be with you all this weekend, and uh, my name's Father Sean Kilcally. I'm a priest from the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska, and, uh, and it's, again, my great joy to be able to start my Lent off by giving the parish mission here on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening. So, um, so I just look forward to being able to spend time with you at the beginning of this holy season. And um, so this morning, I just want to introduce myself a little bit and then talk about the readings. And hopefully help us to reflect on where we're at as we enter into this season of Lent. So in Lincoln, I serve as the director of the Office for Family Life. I've been doing that for about six years. And, um, and for about the past four or five years, uh, my bishop's given me permission to spend about half of my time outside of the diocese, where I've been asked to speak at a lot of conferences, and, um, and I do a lot of continuing education for clergy mostly focused around a theological reflection on love and marriage and family life. And, and I've also become an expert in, um, in addiction recovery and specifically like internet addiction recovery. 
because that's really the biggest obstacle to love that we face as a culture is, you know, just looking at our phones all the time. Um, and then there's like the worst things that happen on when we look at our phones all the time. And, uh, and that's something that we all struggle with, you know, just on a very basic level. So, you know, I was having a bad day a couple weeks ago. I'd given a talk on Sunday night. It was probably the most vulnerable talk I've ever given. And I had a huge vulnerability hangover the next day. You ever have a vulnerability hangover? It's like when you share with somebody and then you're like, crap, why did I say that? <laughs> right? So I have this huge vulnerability hangover. And, uh, and so I was like playing games on my phone the next day because like, oh, I don't want to feel my feelings right now. And I'm really worried about what people think of me. And then I looked at my screen time on my iPhone that night and it said like six hours I spent playing Settlers of Catan on my phone that day. Right? And, uh, and when I talked to my friends who are therapists, they were just like, oh, that totally makes sense. Like you were feeling really, like you were really raw. Like that makes sense that you did that. I'm like, yeah, but it was six hours. Right? And, uh, and so it's just an example of how like phones get in the way of relationships. Um, so I quit playing games on my phone after that and I quit watching television after that. And so, so I'm about like three weeks into that. And my life's a lot more joyful that way. Um, so a little bit about myself and where I come from. My, um, my dad is an Irish immigrant. So my father moved to the United States when he was 22, but he grew up in Ireland in this little town on the west coast of Ireland called Enniscrone. When he was 19, he fell in love and got married, had two daughters and a son. My oldest sister, she was born in England and then raised by her Italian grandmother in Ireland. And now she's married to an Italian who runs an Irish pub in Rome. Um, <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Uh, my sister, Jacqueline, my second sister, was born in Ireland. And then my brother, Mark, was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So my father moved here when he was 22 to sort of try to start his life over again. Um, my brother, Mark, was born in Tulsa. And then when he was about two years old, my father abandoned that family and they got divorced and he never really had relationships with those children. He traveled around the country, lived in different places and ended up in Michigan. So my mom grew up in Michigan, and when she was in high school, she fell in love and got married and had two sons, my brothers James and John. And when John was about four years old, they also got divorced. So dad moved to Michigan, met my mom. I was born. And then about two weeks short of my second birthday, my mother died of cervical cancer. So within about a year, my dad married my stepmom, and they had two daughters and a son, my sister Sarah, my sister Katie, and my brother Kevin. And when I was a sophomore in college, they also got divorced. So that's how I became the family life office director for my diocese. Right? <laughs> but it's the family that I grew up in. It's the family our Lord called me out of, and it's the family that I learned to pray in. And, and I used to pray Psalm 139 before I knew about Psalm 139, which says, Lord, I praise you for the wonder of my being. I praise you for I'm wonderfully made because I would marvel at the fact that God had to take my dad across an ocean through all these circumstances and these difficulties and in order to get him to my mom and put their DNA together and make me just in time before my mom died. And so if our Lord went through all that trouble to make me, he must have had a reason. And I started asking him that reason. And my life, like everybody's life, is a story of wonder because we all can have wonder about where we came from. And it's a story about redemption. It's a story about figuring out, like, what does it mean to love really? 
And that's been the question our Lord's put on my heart ever since I was a child is like, what is love supposed to look like? And our Lord keeps revealing that to me over and over and over again. And it's been my joy to start to discover that in deeper and deeper ways in my priesthood. And, um, and that's a lot of what I hope to share with you during, during our time together. And in the readings today, as we start this season of Lent, we have this sort of look at where we came from and where we're going. And St. Paul says, like, through one person's disobedience, everyone was made a sinner. But also through one person's obedience, everyone can be made righteous. And so looking back at Adam, and we all became sinners in him, in his sin. And our lives often look like his life. And his life is, you know, in the first reading, in this narrative of sin, it's really about forgetfulness. It's about forgetfulness. And when I work with people with addiction, addiction is a disease of forgetfulness. Like, we forget that our life, like, was really miserable the last time we did that behavior. And then we were like, oh, maybe I can do that a little bit. It's a, it's a disease of forgetfulness. And sin is also a disease of forgetfulness because we forget that, oh, that hurt last time I did that. Or I hurt somebody last time I did that. And it's really about forgetting who we are. Because in the Genesis chapter 2 narrative, God breathes life into Adam and he comes to exist in his fullness in the image of God. And the first thing he becomes aware of is that God breathed life into him. And that he's in relationship with the Lord. As he looks around the world, he knows he's not like rocks or trees or animals even. The only person that he's like is the Lord and he's in communion with the Lord. This is an amazing place to be. And he knows that the Lord loves him and wants the good for him. He knows that the Lord doesn't want him to die. And so he tells him, watch out for that one tree. But then this forgetfulness kicks in because when the serpent comes and tempts our first parents, the serpent says, like, did the Lord really say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Because he always exaggerates. And then he says, well, if you eat that fruit, you will not die. You'll be like God. God doesn't really love you. He's trying to keep you down. He's just making these rules. He wants to be your master. He doesn't want to be your father. He doesn't really want the good for you. He doesn't really love you. And every time we fall into sin, it's because we forget that God really loves us and we don't believe that God really loves us. Every time I sin, it's because I don't believe God loves me. Or it's because I believe that something else can take care of me better than God can take care of me. Right? And we do that all the time. Like There's lots of times in our life when we think that a thing can take care of me better than a person. Right? Like, have you ever felt really depressed and kind of like down and you're ticked off at the world and maybe like the neighbor looked at you funny when you pulled into your garage and, you know, people are judging you because you didn't cut your grass or I don't know, like you're just having a bad day and you can either go share that with your family and your wife or your husband or you can like watch Netflix. Am I the only one who watches Netflix? Like... Sometimes we just like watch Netflix because I think Stranger Things can take care of me better than the priest I live with because he's kind of a curmudgeon. I mean, we all can fall into that, right? And sin is when I think a thing can take care of me better than our Lord. 
And that's what happens. Like, I think this apple can take better care of me than God. And Adam and Eve forget their identity. And then Jesus, in the gospel reading, goes out into the desert to be tempted. And he spends 40 days preparing for his public ministry, preparing to proclaim the kingdom. And it's a time of purification in his identity because he had just heard the father say at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now he's spent 40 years fasting. And then the devil comes and tempts him and the devil tries to get him to forget who he is. Because he says to him, if you are the son of God, then do this. If you're the son of God, then turn this stones into bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from the parapet of the temple. And that very temptation is a temptation against his identity. It's against who he is. It's a temptation to forget the fact that he already knows he's the son of God. And Jesus doesn't fail in that temptation because he knows who he is and he hasn't forgotten who he is. And that's the goal of the Christian life is for each of us to always remember who we are and to live every day remembering who we are and to live every day living from that place of being loved by our Lord. Because if I know who I am in him, I don't need to do any of these things that are sinful. It's about learning to be completely dependent on our Lord and his grace and his love and his mercy. And all of us have areas of growth in that. You know, one earlier in my priesthood, I was praying over this passage of Jesus's temptation and, and I was sort of visualizing myself and I'm up on this parapet of the temple with our Lord and the devil says, you know, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Like if you... You know, if you really think that Jesus loves you, throw yourself down. And Jesus doesn't jump, and I don't jump either, but for two totally different reasons. Like, Jesus doesn't jump because he knows who he is. I don't jump because I'm not really sure God loves me that much all the time. Which means I have to grow. And that I have to keep asking our Lord to show me. And I keep asking to ask our Lord to reveal to me who I am. And in his faithfulness, he continues to do that. And during this Lenten season, we offer certain sacrifices and we give certain things up. And the things that we give up should be a reminder of how much we need our Lord. Right? How much we need our Lord. Because every time that we're tempted to break our Lenten fast or our Lenten penance, it's a reminder that I need to be turning to our Lord right now and not that thing. Right? This year our Lord tricked me into giving up smoking. That's really hard. Anybody ever give up smoking before? Now you're all scandalized. You're like, Father smoked. <laughs> Don't be scandalized. Now I'm saying this in public and I podcast my homily, so I'm going to have a million people sending me Facebook messages. But like every time over the last four days, I've been like, ah, I really need Jesus a lot more than I thought I did. 
That's what Lent's supposed to do. And it's also a time that we offer our sacrifices specifically for those people who are preparing to enter the church because it's really a time of preparation for them before their baptism or before their confirmation. And, and today we have some special prayers that will be offered for those members of this parish who are going to the rite of election at the cathedral today. And, um, and so at this time, I'm going to invite um, our catechist to come forward and... Uh, and to have the right of sending for those members of our parish who are preparing to enter the church. And, and let us all pray that this Lenten season continues to be a time of purification of our own hearts and a time of encountering our love, grace, and mercy in our own lives.